0: Hey, it's Scott Oren of Cruise Consulting and welcome to another episode of Founders and Friends. And before we start the podcast, let's give a quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling is the new cool payroll tool that we see a lot of startups using. Rippling is great for your traditional HR and payroll. They integrate very nicely. But guess what? They did another thing. They integrate into your IT infrastructure. They make it really easy for when you hire someone to spin up all the web services and their computer, which sounds kind of like not a huge deal, but actually we did the study at Cruise. We spend $420 on average just getting a new employee's computer up and running and their web service up and running. It's actually a really big deal. saves a lot of money. And the dogs are eating the dog food. Like We see a lot of startups coming in. The Cruise is now using Rippling. So please check out Rippling. Great service. We love it. I think we have a podcast with Parker Conrad. You can hear it from his own words. But we're seeing them take market share, so shout out to Rippling. And now to another awesome podcast at Cruise Consulting's Founders and Friends. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting, in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise. Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting, Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Orr. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Bryce Emo of Quid. Welcome, Bryce. Nice to see you, Scott. Thank you. We, Pat. We, before we turn the mics on, we were reminiscing about our college days. And Bryce was the mascot at Notre Dame, and I was involved in the Cal mascot. So two, two middle-aged guys that had some good times back in college.
1: Yeah, that's there's a lot to brag about there. A lot to everyone our wives are, uh, are right now. yes that's uh, great
0: well so maybe you can uh tell her just retrace your career a little bit and tell everyone about quid and how you ended up there
1: yeah absolutely so i started my journey after college uh at notre dame i i moved to new york and i was a wall street analyst for two years at merrill lynch doing derivatives and um that took me to about 2000 when the internet got very hot and so i Flipped tracks and spent the next, you know, eighteen years building and running sales organizations uh, at MySpace, um, PhotoBucket, and a couple of privately held companies in the big data SaaS space. And so it was during my journey at those private companies that I realized uh, when I would leave or as new 409A changed at the company level that you know there was an opportunity to really. Optimize my, my equity position. Along the way, I'd I'd start buying my equity on my own account, and then, you know, when I'd leave, eventually the the tax bill would be so high that uh, I couldn't afford it personally, and so I'd either only exercise part of it or I'd take out a loan from family or friends. It's one of the issues that I I saw myself having. And when my friend Josh Berman, who's one of the co founders of MySpace, started Troy Capital and then launched this fund, Get Quid. I was eager to get, eager to get involved and, and run sales here and help people figure out, you know, this option exercise puzzle that everyone's trying to solve for.
0: And, and you're so right. And I want to have you on the podcast because this is a question we get all the time. And it's not just from our clients, but our friends in the startup community. And like the classic, um, especially when they're leave, people, someone's leaving a company and they might have like $300,000 worth of options to exercise. And they don't have anything close to $300,000 laying around. And so like, what do you do? And you you put it perfectly. Like a lot of people just kind of exercise a quarter of it or half of it. And, right. and even that is a ton of exposure relative to their net worth. And it's very risky. And something could happen with a startup and it could go to zero. And so when I heard about Quid and heard about what you're doing, uh, from our friend Chris Swanson at, at formerly of SVB now at Quid, I was like, "Hey, let's let's get on the podcast. so We can talk about this and explain how how you can help solve this problem for a lot of the people in our lives
1: who are going through it." And, and thanks for you know, thanks again for inviting us. It wears on people, right? I mean, you've got yeah. you know tens of thousands of people now working at these hyper growth unicorn, you know, pre-IPO companies. There's 700 of them globally, probably four or 500 in the United States. And so you've got tens of thousands of people working at these companies. They take tremendous amounts of deferred income, right, in the stock in, in the form of, of stock. And I live in the Bay Area, I know you do too. Yeah. It's extremely expensive here, right? Yeah. And in New York and in you know major cities across America, it's very expensive to live in these, these areas. And these startup companies oftentimes pay, you know, below market wages um, because you're taking this large gamble on your equity. And it, um, it creates a lot of stress when you, one, worry about maybe leaving the company, right? Not being able to exercise your options. Two, as the company continues to increase in value, the cost of those options and the tax consequence becomes more expensive on a monthly, quarterly, yearly basis. And so helping people gain peace of mind that yes, you can, you will be able to buy your options, right? Yeah. They will not go unexercised because of companies like Quid out there. Uh, it's a great thing to do. One, two is you know the level of education in the marketplace around equity is very, very low. it's It's shocking when you think about the gamble that people take at these these startup companies that they really still don't have a great mentor in many of these companies or through their personal networks of people who've, been, who've done this because it's not that old. Only in the last 10 years have people taken a lot of risk in stock. And so understanding the different types of equity I might have options, whether they're ISOs or NSOs, RSUs, um, how to how to think about those, how to understand their value and what the tax consequence is. There's a lot to learn there. And, yeah. and so at Quid, we really try to take a education first approach and help people understand their equity. We build them models over those calls, right? So financial models will plug in all their information and help them think through what the best option is. And a number of times we'll say, look, you should have exercised two years ago. It's too late now, right? Yeah. Or you should exercise this part of your options because they've got low strikes, but not these because they're really high priced NSOs and it's not going to make sense. Yeah. Um, or you might want to sell some and take a loan. So a lot of times there's a hybrid approach there. And that's, we try to bring a a voice of education in the marketplace.
0: Well, let's, let's talk through some of those scenarios you talked about. So the, the first thing I always think about for for people who don't know is like when, when you do exercise your options, whenever that is, whether it's like, you know, you first join a company or first vest or right before the IPO, you've created like a taxable event. Right. And so that's, the, from whatever your options were, were the strike price to that dollar amount whenever you exercise, that's is that that's inc that's based on an income t- like income tax, right? That's not capital gains tax at that point.
1: Yeah. So, um, and I'll always preface by saying I'm not an accountant, so don't yeah. rely on this advice to your detriment. Run it by a CPA. Uh, we work closely with the folks at E and Y. They're an amazing shop, as are you know a number of great. There's a lot of great firms around San Francisco and. In the Bay Area, but um, so when when I have options, right? Um, I'm gonna when I exercise those options. There's two costs that I'm gonna bear. The first is the cost of exercising those options, which is the number of options. Let's say I have 100 options times the strike price. So let's say it's a dollar, so I owe a hundred dollars. Well, if I have ISOs, which is you know really what you want to have, I will end up paying an AMT bill on that cost to exercise. And it's different by each state. You know, some don't have a state income tax, some do, et cetera. But it's gonna be somewhere between call it 25 and 35%. And the AMT is the alternative minimum tax. Right. So it's like, it's a, yeah, keep going. And so I'll pay that. Now, a lot of times I don't owe that generally until the next year, right? The following April. If it's an NSO, a non-qualified stock option, sometimes you'll hear the, the term, NQ be used, it's the same thing. Um, And you can find this information in Carta or Shareworks or your E-Trade platform, whatever your company's using. But on NQs or NSOs, you'll end up paying ordinary income tax. That tax is due at the time you exercise. So, you know, we've made over the course of the last, you know, couple of years, we've made 125 plus million dollars in loans. And there are some great stories. We have stories where we've lent people $10 million and, you know, 50,000 was to exercise the options and, and 9.95 million was to pay tax. So yeah. tax is really yeah. the, the major financial burden that people bear. And and that's the reason why this solution becomes so appealing for them, because the last thing they want to do is, is borrow, use their own money to pay uncle Sam on a, an asset that they don't know if it's ever going to actually become liquid and uh, and have value to them.
0: Yep. And the advantage of exercising earlier, not we'll we'll talk about the risk of that in a second. But the advantage of exercising earlier is you're locking in that cost basis, right? And then everything after that is capital gains taxes. So that's why people kind of take that leap, right? Is that that's the rationale? Yeah,
1: yeah that's the rationale. And of course, there are some holding period requirements and things like that in order to get long term capital gains. There's a couple of reasons why people do this, right? One is I want to set myself up for long-term capital gains now while the 409A valuation of the company is low. And generally, we'd recommend that if a company's 409A valuation, also known as their FMV or fair market valuation, if that's less than 40 or 45% of the preferred value of the stock, usually they should be talking to us. There's generally an opportunity to work together there. As long as their strike prices are below a couple bucks, it, there's a, it's worth a conversation. So those ISOs, the reason why they'll lock in, why they'll exercise those, is one to lock in, you know, hopefully start the long-term capital gains clock. Two is when the company goes public, and we've seen the volatility in the markets, which has been tremendous. <laughs> it's it's great to watch on a daily basis, but every day that company is public and you own stock it creates stress for you, especially when 99% of your wealth is in one stock, which is the case for most of our shareholders. (laughs) And so if I can exercise now before the company goes public, and I know that post lockup, and in some cases post lockup might mean the day it goes public. In the case of companies like Palantir and Slack and, and a few others, Airbnb, you could actually sell some of your shares before, you know, a full six month lockup period. So if I can buy my shares now and a year from now and my company goes public, if I can trade on day one or day two and not have to worry about optimizing for tax, then it helps me have a clearer mind. Yeah. Every one of those days that I get back, I think, you know, reduces the stress in your life and and creates peace of mind. And Bryce, that's, that's super interesting.
0: Maybe you can talk us through the actual structure and mechanism that Quinn uses to accomplish this and give founders you know, this peace of mind you're talking about?
1: So we have a money tree in my backyard. And what we do is we go out there, we (laughs) take the heck out of that thing. No. So the way that it works is a couple things. One, our loans. So we're a California lender, right? Our loans are only backed by the value of your shares. So if we lend you $1.6 million, which is approximately our average loan in any given quarter, right? Lowest loan is a hundred thousand dollars. The biggest loans we've done recently are like 25 million per person, wow. you know, a couple people. Yeah. Significant, right? If we lend someone a million six and the shares, let's say a, a rogue wave hits the company kind of WeWork style, right? Um, and the shares become worth $5. In that case, the shareholder either transfers us $5 or transfers us the shares. That's considered repayment of the debt. Hmm. The loan is effectively unsecured today by which i mean you don't transfer shares anywhere many of our competitors will have you transfer shares into a trust sometimes you may have to declare that you have a certain amount of net worth to be able to do this so we thought that was a messy structure that's why we're a lender the loans effectively unsecured until the point at which transfer restrictions lapse and you can sell the shares or get liquidity on them at that point in time our lien springs into action between now and then there's some, what we call bad boy clauses is, is the legal term or jargon, I should say, which means basically you can't rehypothecate your shares, you know, put another lien on them. If you commit a felony or declare bankruptcy, then you know we've got to act like a creditor in that case. Uh, but it's a very eloquent solution. And what that allows us to do is it means we don't have to be on the cap table. And it doesn't mean we're going to, it means we're probably not going to affect the 409A. So yep. um, it's very company friendly because if I'm the CEO of, CFO or the CEO or the GC of a company, my biggest concern is my employees going out to the secondary market and doing sale transactions where they're, um, you know, transferring shares. And now all of a sudden, I used to have a cap table that had fifty people on it, now I've got five thousand. Yeah. So um, it's a big concern for for GCs and CFOs, and and that's one of the things that's that's so friendly to them.
0: Does this get around the right of first refusal, like the rofer too? Because it, feel, it feels like it'd be compliant with a rofer.
1: Yeah. So um, we have not had companies come to us with any issue around a rofer. Um, you know, companies, they're not in the business of making a loan. And so, yeah, that hasn't been an issue for us.
0: Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting. And before we get back to the podcast, quick shout out to ChartHop. ChartHop is one of my favorite new SaaS tools on the market and basically what chart does is it puts your org chart in the cloud and i always like to say like it brings transparency to your organization and so you know everyone in your organization can see who they report to they can see the full org chart of the company and how their group relates to, to other groups it also has a lot of information on the individuals in the company and so you can click on the chart op profile and just get like where people live their experience you know, Slack handles, all this kind of stuff. And it's just a really great tool. The other thing is, Chartop has started doing some cool stuff around compensation and budgeting planning. And so you can actually start seeing like what the cost structure of the company look like during certain kind of scenarios. So I'm loving Chartop, check it out, chartop.com. We use it at Cruise, really like it. And I can't recommend it enough. All right, back to the podcast that for the audience like sometimes the the venture capitalists um can make it like they in a lot of their their negotiated deals they kind of say like hey if anyone the company is going to sell stock we want the right of first refusal that's right so there's been times where i have had friends who like had a really difficult time actually selling because the vcs didn't really want to buy it but they also didn't want it to be sold and so it it ended up in like paperwork you know paperwork land and never actually happened so the fact that you that quid can actually facilitate that in that situation. It seems like a pretty big plus to me too. Well, and paperwork land
1: is, it's a real thing. Like in a yeah. secondary transaction, if I wanna go sell shares of a, of a pre IPO company in the secondary market, um, and there's some great companies that do this, right? And they're serving a very important role. Uh, it might take me, you know, they'd say two to six months is, is how long it takes. We spoke with a client at a company two weeks ago on a Wednesday, and we funded them on Friday. If we've wow. already underwritten the company, we can do a loan from start to finish in three days. Wow, so, So it, it's fast. A lot of times, you know, the number of people that have come to us this month who they forgot they had such a huge tax burden in, in April, the person who prepared their taxes, you know, didn't take everything into account. And so they, they come to us and we're able to, to finance their loans very quickly.
0: That's great. And talking about that, well, first of all, the, the springing lean or that type of structure makes so much sense. I think we, we talked a couple of months ago. I think I told you the story, but when I was at Lighthouse, we were a lender to startups and, and took equity. I remember someone who had been an investor in Dropbox, like cold called me out of the blue and was like, hey, I've got $10 million of Dropbox stock. And that's probably worth like $300 million now or something crazy. But he wanted us to finance that in the, in the way that Quid does it. And... I actually remember calling our lawyer and she couldn't figure out how to get a, a lien on the stock. And so yeah. we said, no, because we hadn't, we didn't think about the elegant solution that you have. And we we're, it wasn't our business and it was a one-off kind of thing, but I, I tip my hat to the, to your team for figuring this out because it actually makes a ton of sense. And that was like an institutional investor. That wasn't like a, a company. Yeah, that's right. So it's, it's, everyone has this
1: problem, you know? So it's pretty cool that you figured this out well i'm I'm happy you bring that up you know for two reasons one you know our founders um you know summit and and josh and anthony our partners and, and landon and our team did a ton of work too but to come up with a solution like this was not a trivial task they spent a year yeah. you know working with our partners very carefully and very closely to construct something that was very company friendly and also helped us achieve our investment objectives that we were pursuing it's not something that's easy to do the second reason why I like what you said is just a few weeks ago we did a loan for um, over twenty million dollars to an institutional investor who had a capital call right yeah. so if I'm getting a capital call or, or sometimes there's you know opportunistic moments where they can you know put some more money to work at, at a great valuation and so if you think about institutional investors, they don't have margin capabilities or margin loans, the way that you would on a publicly traded stock. So we're starting to see, and we've done this number of transactions over the course of the last couple of years with institutions who have that same reason. Either they need to buy out, you know, an LP wants to to get out of the fund. They have a capital call or they have an opportunistic moment to, to take on more ownership in the company. I can totally see this for, um,
0: kind of funds that are older, that maybe their 10 year windows closing or a little bit longer. I mean, at Lighthouse. We were like three extensions in, or something. I think our fund was at thirteen years, and uh, and there's no more money in the fund at that point. So, like, using a solution like this is pretty helpful. Um, that's really cool. Well, maybe you could talk about. You talked about how if you've underwritten a company already, you can move fast. Maybe you could talk about what types of companies, you know, what's what parameters they have need to have, and then um,
1: maybe some some success cases of, of companies you've worked with. Sure. So um, the company is where that we'll underwrite. Our our rule of thumb is this: if the company is worth over a half billion dollars, is doing fifty million dollars in revenue, and growing by fifty percent year over year, we'll have a conversation with these people. Now, Chris and I spoke with a company, you know, just before this call that's worth four hundred million, but they're crushing it. They're growing super fast, and you know, with the growth rates of many of these companies, they might be worth four hundred today. In a year from now, they could be worth a billion three. So yeah. we do have yeah. some elasticity in our thinking and we try to be flexible. Yeah. Um, the reality is most of the companies where we're making loans are probably worth a billion dollars plus. Yeah. Um, we focus on, you know, the cloud. We focus on tech. Uh, we focus on, on businesses that are not going to be uh, terribly capital intensive with mm-hmm. massive prep stacks where there's, where there's a lot of risk to us. Uh, but we have, you know, we weren't doing loans in the crypto space a year ago, and now we're actively talking with people at a number of cryptocurrency yeah. companies because it's become more mainstay and it feels yeah. like, you know, some of these companies are going get, to get public and get some liquidity. And, and if they feel better to us, we like the space more than we used to.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. And then once you've kind of qualified a company, it's it's easy to, to, you know, once you've done one deal, you can do a bunch of deals because you've already underwritten. That underwritten is like a fixed cost that you've already spent, right?
1: that's right that's yeah. right that's cool and, and so that underwriting process probably takes us you know three or four weeks uh, it's a light lift on the company's part generally a call with a CFO or somebody who has good data on the company under NDA uh, will help us you know get through that underwriting process we've done it with you know just a couple calls with CFOs in the past and it moves fast
0: nice very cool maybe you can talk about like the cost like how does quid make money what cost does the, the- the
1: option holder or individual bear? How does this work for their for them? Sure. So, and I mentioned this earlier in our chat, uh, we build these financial models or sell spreadsheets for everyone we talk to. And the reason why we do that is this is not an inexpensive loan, right? It's only recourse to your share. So we take on a lot of risk. Yeah. I mentioned WeWork before. We actually made loans to shareholders at WeWork. Now, luckily we were there early, but there's still, you know, it only takes a couple of bad companies for your fund yeah. to have a tough yeah. time. So why we build these models because the question is, is our loan cheaper than the opportunist opportunity cost of selling today? Or is it less expensive than if you end up paying ordinary income tax on the whole thing because you exercise? And is it cheaper than like the stress that it's going to cause you? Mm-hmm. Right? when your company goes goes public. And so um there's three costs. Uh the first and this is pretty standard for anyone in our space, um there's going to be a transaction fee up front, which is how our companies basically fund the company and survive our operational costs until yep. you know the average company that we're making a loan to their shareholders might be outstanding for 2 to 4 years. So it's yep. so there's a transaction cost up front. There is a an interest rate. It's a simple interest rate. Uh, and then and it's annual and then the third is a percentage of the shares now the person will probably never transfer us a single share if they do they're going to be a one percenter because very few people have ever transferred shares people settle it in cash the same way you would a futures contract
0: meaning they would sell some of their shares in the market after an IPO and then just pay you cash
1: instead of actually sending you shares right Correct. Exactly right. And so there's actually two things that they'll do. One, they'll either sell shares in the in the market, or two, they'll take out an asset backed loan from their bank at that point in time because they'll have unencumbered shares. Yeah. Um, and their cost of capital at a you know at a First Republic we were on the phone with this morning or Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, UBS, Goldman Sachs, all these amazing banks. Their cost of capital is so inexpensive yeah. on publicly traded stocks they'll use that to pay off our debt as soon as it's possible, because our stock fee changes based on duration. And yeah. so you can pay it off sooner rather than later. And we actually have a number of clients who they used our, our loan solution a year, two, two, uh, two years ago. Right. And now the price of their stock in the secondary market has increased fourfold. That's not an exaggeration. It's up four X. And so yeah. they're like, look, we want to pay off the loan now because I'm going to do a secondary sale and I'm also going to take some liquidity. And so we do find that a number of people do that as well. And don't wait yeah. until I deal. But they locked it in, they locked that
0: cost basis in four years okay. ago and it's a great deal for them. So yeah, that makes yeah. total sense. So it's so it's it's expensive money in the sense if you stared at it on a blank piece of paper, but the arbitrage you're saving on taxes and peace of mind is makes it makes it really attractive for people, basically.
1: Well, and not, just, and not just that, because, you know, a, a nice chunk of our business is people are using these funds to start businesses, buy houses, they're getting married, they're having kids, they want to set up trust for their children, what have you. Yeah. And so if you compare, if I want, let's say I feel like I need $3 million because I'm buying a house or, or something like this, right? If I go sell my shares, I've just capped the opportunity of those shares that I've sold right? We find that with a loan, you only probably need 30 or 40% growth over the course of a couple of years in order to be better off with the loan than you are with the sale. Most of the companies are making loans to are growing by one to three X per year. So that's a, that becomes a no brainer for them when they, when they see the side by side math. Yeah. If you've t- sold those shares, you don't get the appreciation on it. So it's
0: better to, to do the loan, lock it in and then benefit the, from the appreciation and then sell it down the road and pay the loan off. That's that's the the structure. That's exactly right. Yeah, that makes total sense. I I, you really got something here. It's really cool. So you've done you've got quid's done about $125 million worth of deals.
1: Yeah, I'll say that number just to be safe because it's 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 larger than that, but um, but I always like to be conservative. Yeah.
0: Well, you've you've built something super cool. I'm I'm glad Chris introduced us. Maybe you can tell everyone how to find you, how to reach out if they're interested. And, uh, and maybe some of the information
1: you need right off the bat to see if it's an interesting deal for you. Sure. So our website is www.getquid.com, getqui com. You can go there and fill out. It probably takes you a couple minutes to fill out a profile or, or um, a request for uh, a meeting. And we'll just ask you things like, you know, do you have ISOs or NSOs? How many do you have? What's your strike price? You can enter as much information as you like. And then, you know, we'll reach out to you. And within a couple of days at, a, at the max, we'll be on a Zoom call like this with you, walking you through a model. Uh, most people we talk to the same day, whether it's myself or, or some of the other folks on my team. I love it. And thanks for coming by. And I think this is going to be really
0: helpful. And, uh, and, and kudos to, to you and the team for coming up with this. And uh, it's been it's I, I still remember that phone call about Dropbox like, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. So capitalism is beautiful, figures things out. And now people
1: are going to have this problem solved going forward. So really neat. Thank you very much. And thanks for having us on the show. Love the folks at cruise consulting and congrats on what you and uh, your wife have built. Thanks, Bryce. Appreciate it. Take care.
0: So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, and friends with your host, Scotty Ohm.